people that I feel are relatable. And Moses, he's not a perfect man. Uh, He's a man that made some mistakes, but God decides to use him. And what I think is so relatable to me is that Moses constantly doubts himself. He doubts that he's the right person for the call that God gives him. He goes on to do amazing things, and then when challenges arise and situations come his way, he begins to doubt himself yet again. But never once does Moses ever doubt God. Never once do you read in the Bible where, where Moses cries out to God and he says, God, this is more than you can handle, or this is more that you can do. But instead, he, he doubts that if he is the right person for the job, even though God has proven time and time again that, Moses, I can use you, and I, 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 I can do all things through you, but Moses, he doubts his abilities. And that's what makes it so relatable to me. Because I can trust God to do the miraculous. I don't believe there's anything too hard for God. But when he wants to do it through me, then that's when I don't know. Because God, you're probably talking to the wrong person. Because I truly believe that our faith tends to fail when we look at the task at hand with our own abilities. Instead of looking at them through God's vision and his purpose. One of the books that I was reading to uh, prepare for tonight referred to Moses as the reluctant prophet. Because Moses was somebody that he didn't want to be used of God. But he loved God's people enough. And he knew what kind of struggles that they were going through. What kind of life that Israel had. It was a life of of pain and bondage. And he dedicated himself to it because he loved God's people enough. Not because he wanted fame or glory. But because he had a burden for people. And that's what my hope is. is this, This next few weeks as we study Moses that that God places that kind of a burden in each and every one of us to, to truly love people, to truly love the lost, that, that we shift our focus off our own lives and we, and we look at those that are in, in struggles and pain and bondage and they just need Jesus and hope in their lives. And we begin to pick up a burden to do a work for the Lord. Because God knows if it came down to my abilities, there's not a whole lot that could be done. But I believe in God's call, and I believe what God wants to do. And when we shift our focus off our own abilities and on what God wants to achieve, I feel like that's when we're able to do great things like Moses did. Deuteronomy 34.10 tells us that there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And I think it's crazy because even though he knew the Lord face to face, he had an experience that nobody else had he still doubted himself at times. So I think it's okay for us, being full of the Holy Ghost, to, do, to still doubt ourselves from time to time. It's okay for us to struggle with our own abilities because we don't need to be perfect. We just need to learn to continue to trust in God. We need to follow the example that Moses gave and get past ourselves and do exactly what God has called us to do. If you go to Exodus uh, chapter 1, there's going to be a whole lot of scripture today, so... I uh, apologize for that in advance, but it's the easiest way to teach Moses' story. But Exodus 1.8 says, Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt, and he knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Remember, it was Joseph that helped uh, Egypt survive the famine. It was Joseph that was the reason why that, that God's hand was upon Egypt at that time. But now you've got a time where there's a new king, and, and he doesn't know anything about uh, Joseph, and he doesn't know anything about Joseph's God. And he, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now, now outnumber us, and they're stronger than we are. They've been there long enough that Israel's began to grow. And he decides, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Because if we don't, and war breaks out, they will join our enemies, and they're going to fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. Pharaoh is afraid. He's afraid of the potential that he sees in Israel. The enemy believed in the children of Israel more than they even believed in themselves. He was terrified of what God's people were capable of if they just figured out who they were and what they could do. If they stopped living in fear and they saw their potential, he knew that there's no way that they could keep control of them. So verse 11 says, So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. Israel allowed themselves to be put into bondage because it was convenient for them to stay exactly where they were. 
And God had called him to go to Egypt, but he only called him to be there for a season. It wasn't a calling for them to stay there. But they got comfortable where they were at, and they stopped pushing forward. They stopped seeking the will of God, and they just decided to enjoy life where it was. They gave up fighting. They just accepted a life of pain and suffering. They became cowards. They lost that fight that they had. And if we aren't careful, we'll allow ourselves to live in that life of complacency and be bound by things of this world. But God's called us to do so much more. He's called us to a a land of blessings, and he's called us to, to do amazing things. Verse 12 says that, But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the works in the field. They were ruthless in all of their demands. And this was something I found out while I was studying, but maybe I'm just silly, but growing up, I just assumed that it was the children of Israel that built the pyramids. Because every time you talk about them, they're the ones that are, are mixing and building bricks and doing all this hard labor. But if you do a little bit of research, the, the pyramids were already there for a thousand years, and the children of Israel were working on a different project at this time. Verse 15 says, Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order, the Hebrew midwives, uh, Shiphrath and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. And if the boy is a baby, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. We're talking about some major parallels to later on in the Bible when when Jesus is born with King Herod, trying to control uh, the, the male children that are being born. But because the midwives, they feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. I love the fact that these Egyptian midwives had a fear for God. Israel had forgotten about God at this point, but these midwives, they still feared God. Pharaoh, which Pharaoh it is, they don't even mention him by name in this part of the Bible, but they take time to name both of these midwives because they were doing the will of God. Verse 18 says, So the king of Egypt called the midwives and says, Why have you done this, he demanded? Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they said. They are more vigorous and have babies so quickly, and we cannot get there in time. I'm sure the ladies in the room would love it if they they had the problem, if they just had the the babies too quickly, and it was too swift of a process. Uh, I've been there for both my children being born, and it's not a swift process, so obviously this is a a lie from the midwives. So God was, was good to these midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply And they continued to grow more and more powerful. And because the midwives, they feared God, he gave them families of their own. God blessed the midwives because they were doing the work of the Lord. And that's what I love, is that they didn't have to be Hebrew. They didn't have to have a full understanding of God. They just had to respect the authority of God, and God's blessings came upon them as well. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River but you may let the girls live. See, Pharaoh, he, he, he wasn't getting the job done with these two midwives. So he says, you know what? We're just going to use this, this giant uh, mindset of the, the group mentality, and we're just going to tell everybody, if you see a, a Hebrew boy, you need to throw him in the, in the Nile. And the thing is, is Pharaoh didn't want to destroy Israel because he still needed them to be their slaves. But what he was trying to do with this is he was trying to get uh, Israel to conform because if they killed off all of the men, It would eliminate the the, the strength, but they would still have the women for the laborers. And what would happen is is that these women would be forced to marry non-Hebrew men. They would be forced to marry Egyptians. And eventually these these, uh, Hebrew women would would conform with society around them, and their heritage would be lost, and they would just become part of society. And that's what Pharaoh was trying to do. He was trying to, to eliminate their heritage. He was trying to eliminate everything about them and just get them to conform to what he wanted them to be. Acts 2 says, About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. And the woman became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And she saw that this was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. And what I love is that God never told Moses' parents to do this. There was never a great plan that they were aware of. I've never read that there was an angel that came down into the room and told them, This is what you need to do. God didn't reveal this calling and what what he had planned for Moses to his parents, yet his parents were faithful and they trusted God to show up in an impossible situation. 
It's because of their faith and their action that I truly believe that God called Moses to do something because he responded to somebody's faith. Moses survived to save a nation because his parents loved him enough to protect him. They went against what society said, and they put their child in the hands of God. They put their child in a place of protection, a place where God could use him. And even though I'm sure it caused them much heartache and pain when when they put him in that basket and and sent him away, they knew that God would honor their sacrifice. They didn't give in to the fear of of others. They they, they had faith in God, no matter what was going to happen. And they raised this child for three months. And then verse 3 says, But when they could no longer hide him, she made a basket made of papyrus reeds and, and waterproof it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile River. I think the first miracle that, that they performed in Moses' life was you were able to keep a baby hidden for three months. I really don't know how that's possible. That's, that's pretty amazing that, that you were able to keep a baby quiet enough that you weren't found out for three entire months. And what I love is when they put this, this baby in the basket into the river, technically Moses' mother was being obedient. She did exactly what Pharaoh asked her to do. She put the baby in the Nile. And verse 4 says, The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And it wasn't happen chance that this, this princess just happened to be there bathing in the river that day. You see, what the princess would do is there was a time of the season where she would have to go and she would bathe in the Nile so that the, the river gods would bless it and there would be fertility and there would be a great growing season. So God knew exactly when she was going to be there and that's why they probably waited that three months because this is the time that, that there was hope for him. And when the princess opened it and she saw the baby, the little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. And this was another thing that we just fly through sometimes. is If it's Pharaoh's daughter, an Egyptian princess, why were they looking for a Hebrew woman to to? To nurse the child. It could have been any woman in, in the nation, but it was important that, that the princess knew that it had to be a Hebrew woman. They said, take this baby and nurse him for me. And the princess told the baby's mother, I will pay for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. And that's what the Hebrew translation of Moses means, is to lift him out of the water. But what's interesting is if you look it up, the Egyptian meaning of his name, Moses, it means son of no one. When Moses was growing up in in Egypt, I can't imagine it, it didn't cause him some issues growing up having your name be son of no one. He probably got teased a little bit, and and when you think about it, when he comes back to to Israel, and he goes before Pharaoh, and he goes before all these people, the great savior of Israel is the son of no one? But she gave him the Hebrew name to, to lift him up out of the water. Acts chapter seven twenty two says that Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was most powerful in both speech and action. He had a, he had a privileged upbringing from where he was. He was given the best education that was possible. He was trained by people and that they poured into Moses just like he was royalty. Verse 11 uh, says, Many years later when Moses had grown, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw that they had, how hard they had been forced to work. During this visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure that no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and he hid his body in the sand. If Moses believed what he was doing was right and he was standing up for his people, then why did he make sure that nobody else was around when he did it? Why did he take the time to hide the evidence? Because see, sometimes we can justify that what we're doing is it's okay and it's all right and there's a reason for, for me doing what I need to do. But if we need to hide what we're doing and we're ashamed if anybody else would find out, 
then just don't do it. The next day when Moses went out to, to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who started the fight. And the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And I love the foreshadowing that we have here because, spoiler alert, one day Moses is actually going to be the judge over the Israelites. He's going to be the one that's appointed over them to judge them one day. And Moses was afraid and he's thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what happened and he tried to kill Moses. Even though he was a prince, Moses still had to be held accountable for what he did. Essentially, there's a warrant out for his arrest, and he's going to be put to death if they find him. So, so Moses, he, uh, he flees from Pharaoh and from Egypt, and he goes to live in the land of Midian. And it says, when Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came, as usual, to draw water and fill the water trowels for their father's flock. But some of the shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and he rescued the girls from the shepherds, and then he drew water for their flocks. Moses saw a man who was being beaten, and he took action. He sees daughters uh, by the well trying to get water, and they're being harassed, so he took action. Moses was laying the groundwork as someone who stands up for the weak. The first time he tried to stand up for the weak, though, he, he went about it the wrong way, and he suffered consequences. But that didn't stop him from doing the right thing the second time at the well. He didn't say, you know what, last time I I did what I thought was the right thing. I I had to to pay some consequences. It didn't end well for me. I I lost the life that I loved all because I I was doing something that I thought was right. And I've learned my lesson. I'm just going to step back and not do anything today. I feel like we've stopped reaching out and helping the weak just because we've been burned in the past. And I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else, but, but God has called us to help those that are struggling, and, and we're too scared to get invested into people's lives because last time it didn't work out, and last time I got hurt, and last time it, it made my life uncomfortable. So we step aside those that are in need, and, and we're just trying to, to focus on what we're doing. And God hasn't focused us to a, to a life focused on ourselves, but he's, he's called us to a life to help others. And after Moses rescues these girls, they're... Their father welcomes him into their home for dinner, and and Moses ends up marrying one of his daughters. Skipping down to verse number 23, it says that years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. And that's what I love is you're going to start to see a theme with, with my Bible studies over the next few weeks and the ones I've done in the past. Is It's time to act. God has heard the cries and the groans of those that are suffering, and, he, and he's calling us to act. He's calling us to do something. It's been too long of just accepting the status quo and accepting what bondage people are going through, but he's, he's calling us to act today. Moses, or not Moses, uh, Exodus chapter 3 says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. So Moses goes from being a prince in a palace to being a shepherd. And shepherds were viewed as the lowest people in society by the Egyptians. Genesis 46, 33 says, uh, Then he said, When Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him, We, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives, as our ancestors have always done. And when you tell them this, he will let you uh, live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. I thought it was interesting that the reason why the the Israelites were pushed off to Goshen was because the Egyptians, they thought so little of them, they didn't even want them around them. They wanted them to be in a separate area because they viewed shepherds as just the lowest of lows. You talk about a fall from grace. Moses went from being a prince to being an absolute nobody. But God uses Moses' time in the wilderness to prepare him for what he had ahead. The first 40 years of his life, he was taught leadership. He was taught economics. He was taught construction. And God spent the next 40 years of his life wandering in the wilderness, teaching him 
uh, perseverance, self-discipline, faith, character, and most most importantly, how to hear the voice of God. One last uh, point about the difficulty that Moses had was he was a shepherd in an area of the world that gets less than an inch of rain annually. To be an effective shepherd, he would have to be adaptive. He would have to look for the future. He couldn't be content just staying in one place because if he stayed in one place, his flock would die. He had to know that he had to keep moving. He had to keep progressing. I, I feel like that's something that God's trying to tell us is you just can't stay where you're at. You've, you've got to continue to seek for more, to grow and to survive because if you just stay where you're at, you're going to die. And he led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And an interesting fact is that brittle bushes in the desert actually catch fire. I didn't know that before. And I know I hate the snow and I I hate the cold, but I don't ever want to live in a land where it's normal for a bush to just catch fire because it's that hot and the sun's beating down that much. And that's not what gets Moses' attention is the fact that this bush is on fire. But what gets his attention is that it's not consumed by the flame. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming closer to take a look, God called from him in the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Here we have Moses who is just tending his sheep. He's, he's not deep in prayer. He's, he's not in the middle of a fast. It doesn't even say that, that he attended church while he was in the wilderness. We don't know anything about that. What we do know was that he was doing his everyday task. He was just doing his job. And the Lord didn't wait for, for him to seek him out. He didn't wait for Moses to say, you know what, God? I'm ready for you. I want to be used by you. But he met Moses exactly where he was, and he began to speak to him anyways. And the Lord called him out by his name. And I think it's important to note that he called him out by name because he wanted Moses to know, I know exactly who you are. Moses, is a, he's a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. I doubt there was even another human around at this time to hear the voice out of the bush. But the, the Lord still decides to, to make sure he uses, his, uses Moses' name. Because the Lord just wasn't calling out of this bush for anyone. It wasn't something where he, he sends a decree out and the first one that responds, that's the one that he has a calling for. But he had a specific calling for a specific person. When you hear the voice of God calling, he's calling you because there's something specific that he wants you to do. It's not just because he's looking for the first person to respond. Because what Brother Miller's called to do isn't what I'm called to do. It's different for each and every one of us. It's not the first one that raises their hand, but, but God's calling you with a specific calling. And we need to respond like Moses responds. He says, here, here am I. Do not come any closer, the Lord, warned, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. In the land flowing of milk and honey, where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hezerites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, The cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians have abused them. Now go, for I am sending to you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead lead Israel out of Egypt? And the excuses are just beginning to start. And God answered, and he said, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? And then what shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. 
Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name and my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel and tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He said, I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you and I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a man flowing with milk and honey where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Jebusites now live. And the elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to Egypt and tell him, the Lord of the God of the Hebrews has met with us, so please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our Lord and God. God had no intentions of allowing the children of Israel to go and worship for three days and then to come back to a life of bondage. He was allowing Pharaoh to, to free them for the, this excuse to allow Pharaoh to save face so he didn't have to admit that, that God was all-powerful. He was trying to give Pharaoh an easy way out to say, just let us go for three days, knowing that they're never going to return. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go so that you will not leave empty-handed. I love that because God said, not only am I going to free you from the bondage that you're in, but in your freedom, I'm going to give you a blessing on your way out as well. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of gold and silver, fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors, and from four women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters uh, with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. I loved it. It was Pharaoh thought he had all power, and he had all this greatness above him. And Jesus says, not only am I going to free you from his, his control, but all their precious gold and everything that they hold dear to themselves, you're going to take that from them, and you're going to take it with you. Going on to chapter 4, it says that Moses protested again and said, What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say that the Lord has never appeared to you? So first, Moses has doubted himself. And now he's doubting that anybody else is actually going to believe anything that he has to say. And the Lord asked him, What's in your hand? A shepherd's staff, he replied. You see, that, 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 that staff was important to Moses because it was his source of stability in uncertain terrain. It, it helped him to do a job. It, it helped to make sure that his sheep stayed in line. And, and what's a shepherd without their staff? And the Lord told him to throw it on the ground. And when the Lord asked Moses to throw that staff on the ground, I believe he was asking Moses, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to give me uh, control, do you, to, to let go of the stability that you have right now? Because to, to him, that, that staff was his identity. And I believe that God was trying to tell him, Moses, give me your identity so I can do something with it, so I can make something new out of it. Moses threw the staff down, and it turned to a snake, and Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach and grab it by its tail. So Moses reached out, and he grabbed it, and he turned it back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has really appeared to you. And the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside of your cloak. And when he put his hand inside his cloak and took it out again, now it was white as snow and, and with a severe skin disease. He put leprosy on his hand. And it says, now put your hand back in your cloak. And when he did, uh, he took it out again and his hand was as healthy as the rest of his body. And the Lord told Moses, if they do not believe you and they are not convinced by this first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second. And if they don't believe you or listen to you after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and when the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though that you've spoken to me, I still get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. God had turned that snake back into a rod. He had turned leprosy back into health. But Moses didn't believe that God could, could do a miracle in his own speech. Do, do you think when the Lord called Moses, he didn't know about his weaknesses when he called him? He knew exactly who he was calling, but he saw potential in him. And Moses only saw his own flaws. Sometimes even when God calls us, he calls us with our flaws. I know people that God has spoken to that he's called with, with fear of public speaking. But guess what? He still called them to, to speak. 
I would stare at my wife, but apparently she's not in the room right now, so we're just going to have to tease her later on that one. But the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak or hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, send anyone else. He says, I'm throwing excuses at God, and God's saying, I've got answers to your excuses. He says, all right, well, I'm out of excuses, so God just sent somebody else because I don't want to be the one to do it. And the Lord became angry with Moses, and he says, all right, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks well, and look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. God had already been dealing with Aaron. He was already preparing him. Before Moses even asked for help, God already had his help on the way. God called Moses, but he also called a support system for Moses. Moses, he has Aaron and he has Miriam. Later on in his life, he'll end up with Joshua and Caleb. And I might be a little bit biased here, but a team of Joshua and Caleb, I'm pretty sure you can expect greatness out of that team. That's a good team to have with you. But my point is, is it, it, he doesn't expect you to do it alone. He didn't expect Moses to do it alone. He's going to send you help. Moses' calling, it was a great calling, but Aaron and Miriam's calling to support him was just as essential. Because you might not think that the one in the, the, one in the limelight's the one that matters, but you know what? That's not the case with God, because he says, it's everyone working together. That's what matters. I read an interesting story this week about Billy Cole, one of the most essential influential ministers of the apostolic movement. He had revivals, and there was countless that, that received the Holy Ghost. There was, there was healings that were performed. All these wonderful things happened in his tent revivals. And Reverend Cole said, you know why this revival ha- is happening? Is it's not because of the man behind the pulpit. But I've got a wife who's a prayer warrior. And he said, she spends up to six hours a day each time I preach an intercessory prayer that God would do a work. It was her support role that allowed revival to flow through his ministry. God's calling someone here to a support role. He's calling you to do something that it might not be glorious, it might not be in the limelight, but it's essential for God to do what he needs to do. You go back to Aaron and Moses, and he says, uh, talk to him and, and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you both as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to do. And Aaron will be your spokes, uh, spokesman to the people He will be your mouthpiece, and he will stand in the place of God, telling them what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you, and use it to perform the miraculous sign that I have shown you. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said, Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt. Moses says, I don't even know if they're still alive. And his father-in-law, Jethro, says, Go in peace. It's interesting that Moses went back to his father-in-law to ask for his blessing before he did anything. Because God has called him to do something amazing, but Moses thought it was important to still submit to the person that had authority over him. If you feel like you've got a calling on your life, that's an amazing thing. Talk to pastor. Because I've seen people who are called, who have such an anointing on their life, and they think, well, you know what? God spoke to me, so I don't have to submit to any kind of spiritual authority anymore. God's the one that called me, and it's, it's more important that I, that I follow after what God says, and I don't have to listen to my pastor anymore. I don't have to have a place of authority in my life. It doesn't matter how big you think your calling is or how big you think your purpose is. If you walk out of spiritual authority, you're living in a dangerous place, and God's never going to bless it. But before Moses left, he made sure to get that, that blessing from the man that had authority over him. Before Moses left Midian, he said uh, to the Lord, Return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you. They've all died. No worn out for his, his death anymore. He's good to go. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on a donkey, and he headed back to the land of Egypt. And in his hand, he carried the staff of God. And the Lord told Moses, When you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles that I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Before he even got to Pharaoh, God told him, guess what? You're going to fail. He could have prepared the heart of Pharaoh. He could have made it easier for him, but instead he says he's going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. He wanted to reveal himself not only to Pharaoh, but to the children of Israel. And he said, to do that, I'm going to have to do miraculous works. 
He knew it was through this difficulty, through this struggle, that that his glory was going to shine through. I'm talking to somebody tonight. You feel like a failure, and you don't understand why God has placed you where you are, but I've come to declare that God has put you exactly where you're supposed to be, exactly where you need to be. His glory is about to shine through in your situation. You don't understand it, and it doesn't make sense, but God's going to show up, and the world is going to see him through you. Verse 27 says, Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses in the mountain, and he embraced him. And Moses told Aaron everything that the Lord had commanded him to say. And he told him about the miraculous signs that the Lord commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convicted that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they had heard what the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. When Moses went back to Egypt and he met with the elders of Israel, not a single one stood up and said, you can't be used. Do you remember that you're a murderer, Moses? We, Pharaoh might be dead, but we all remember what you did. We all remember who you are. But instead, when, when they heard his testimony and when they saw the power of God move through him, it says that they got behind him and they supported him. Some of us are stuck living a life of pain and bondage because instead of believing in each other, we're too busy remembering all the mistakes that everybody else has made. Can you believe who they just allowed to teach at Sunday school? I mean, did you see that praise singer that was up here last week? Did you see what they were doing? I was looking at, instead of focusing on what God is trying to do in their lives, we're focusing on their flaws and we're focusing on their past. It's time to stop focusing on flaws and start focusing on our call. Exodus 5 says, after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron, they went before Pharaoh. And it's believed that Aaron was an elder in the Hebrew community because uh, Pharaoh was willing to meet with them and it showed the importance that Aaron had played in the Israelite camp. And they told him that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go, that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will never let Israel go. But Moses and Aaron persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with a sword. Moses and Aaron had just said, let us go for three days to, to, to worship God. You don't, you don't have to give us freedom. You, you, you just got to let us worship. Because they knew that there's a freedom that comes and a power that comes when they get a chance to worship the Lord. And Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land and you are stopping them from their work. And that same day, Pharaoh sent an order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen, do not supply any straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. But still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That'll teach them to listen to these lies. So the slave drivers and the foremen went out and they told the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not provide you any more straw. Go and get it yourself. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. Make them Make them work harder. Pharaoh thought, if I can keep them busy, then they won't have time to focus on what God is wanting them to do. If I can make their work harder, if I can make their life a little bit more difficult, then I can eliminate any kind of hope that they have. The enemy wants to eliminate hope. He wants you to be so consumed with the things of the world that you don't have time to focus on what God is trying to do. Verse 12 says, So the people scattered throughout the land in Egypt in search of stubble to use as straw. Meanwhile, the Egyptian slave drivers continue to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks, just as you did when you were provided with straw, they demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foreman that they had put in charge of the work crew. Why haven't you met your quotas, either yesterday or today, they demanded. And the Israelite foreman, they went to Pharaoh and they pleaded with them, don't treat us, your servants, like this, they begged. We were given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand make bricks. We were beaten But it's not our fault. Your own people are the ones to blame. That's why we can't get this job done, Pharaoh, is because we don't have what we need. But Pharaoh shouted at him, you're lazy, 
just lazy. That's why you say, let us go and make sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quota of bricks. And the Israelite foreman could see that they were serious in serious trouble, and they asked, you must not reduce the bricks each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they, can, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them, and they said, why would the Lord judge and punish May the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword in their hands and an excuse to kill us. They're saying, it's your guys' fault that we, we lost favor with Pharaoh. We were doing fine, we were doing good, and, and now our life is tough. You guys were already slaves. You didn't have any freedom. Your, your life was not good to begin with. Then Moses went back and he protested to the Lord and he said, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has made uh, even more brutal to your people, and you've done nothing to rescue them. God, I know that you warned me that when I got here, it, it wasn't going to be successful the first time, but Lord, things were already bad enough. I, I'm following after your will, and, and things are getting worse than they were before. God, w- where are you? I think some of us have been there before. As soon as we start to get hope, as soon as we, we start to activate our faith, it feels like the enemy comes over and just kicks us while we're down. But I love uh, the Lord's response to, to the prayers of Moses. The Lord told Moses, now you will see what I am about to do with Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave this land. Moses, I'm just getting started. You just have to wait and see what I have in store for the enemy. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh the Lord. I appeared to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. And I re- reaffirmed my covenant with them under its terms, that I promised to give them the land of Canaan. And that was when they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groan of the people that are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Moses, the people may have forgotten about me, but I never forgot about the promises that I made to them. I know it may not look like like where they want to be. But remember, I, I, I promised, and Moses, if you just trust me, I'm getting ready to do a work. Therefore, the, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from oppression and rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and, and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am your Lord, God, who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as your very own possession, for I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen to him anymore. They become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. They originally listened to Moses because they saw the power of God working through him. But now they were so focused on their situation. They were so consumed with their own pain and what was going on with their lives that they didn't want to listen to Moses anymore. I feel like God's talking to somebody tonight and he's saying, I don't care how hopeless you think your situation is. I haven't forgotten about you. Hold on to your promise. Don't turn a deaf ear to the promises that God is speaking into your life. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel have his country or leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen to me? I'm such a clumsy speaker. Skip down to verse 28, and it says, And when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I'm telling you. But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm such a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? God had already used Moses to do the miraculous at this point. He'd already experienced the power of God firsthand. And yet for the third time, he's trying to argue with God on what God's trying to to tell him to do. How long are we going to argue with God before we finally submit and just do what he's called us to do? Exodus chapter 7 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pay close attention, for I will make thee seem like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people leave, uh, the people of Israel to leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even Pharaoh will, will refuse to listen to you, so I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. 
When I raise my powerful hand and bring the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And it's getting to be a broken record at this point. Moses, I'm going to send you before Pharaoh, and he's not going to listen to you. But this time, he tells Moses about his plan. Moses, th- th- there's a reason for this process. It's, it's through this process that I'm going to reveal myself to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. So when Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and, and, and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. And when he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it on the ground in front of Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. Serpent. God was warning Moses, your words, they're not going to be enough. If you want him to believe what you're saying, then he needs to see action. He, he's going to need to see the power of God working, not just hearing stories. So Moses and Aaron, they, they went before Pharaoh and they did what the Lord commanded them to do. And Aaron threw down his staff before, Moses, or before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh called his own wise men and sorcerers and these Egyptian magicians and they did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staves, and they also became serpents. And then Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He refused to listen, just as the Lord predicted. Pharaoh had seen the power of God, but it didn't have any effect on him yet. So he refused to, to submit to the power of God. And then that's when God is going to unleash the plagues directly upon uh, Egypt and on Pharaoh, and it's going to affect his life directly. Verse 14 says, that then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, and he will refuse to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning, and as he goes down to the river, stand at the bank of the Nile and meet him there, and be sure to take along the staff that turned to a snake. And then they announced to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, Let my people go, so they may worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says, I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die. The river will stink. And the Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt. All the rivers and the canals and the pond and all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood everywhere in Egypt. The water will turn to blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. And I love it. God is speaking to Moses, but it's Aaron that, that, that God is wanting to, to be the one to act. God was setting a, a precedent. He's saying, Moses, I'm going to use you to do great things, but in order to do these miracles, you're going to need support. Pastor, he's got this great vision for this, this city, and he's got wonderful words to say, but I believe that God's saying, will you listen to the words, and will you be the one to act? Will you respond to, to what, what the man of God is speaking over to you and, and go into action? So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. And as Pharaoh's and all the officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and he struck the water of the Nile and suddenly the the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died and the water was so foul that the Egyptians could not drink it. There was blood everywhere in the land throughout Egypt. But again, the the magicians of Egypt used their magic and they too turned the, the water to blood. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard and he refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord predicted. Verse 19 tells us not only did did God turn the Nile to blood, but every piece of water throughout the land, the rivers, the streams, everything that was in a a vessel was turned to blood as well. God was saying to to the people of of Egypt, you're praying to to happy the God of the Nile, but it's I that, that supplieth the water. The next plague is the plague of frogs. The fertility god Hecate was depicted by a frog's head. But when the frogs wouldn't go away, it wasn't Hecate that, that Pharaoh went running to, but he, but he ran to Moses. Verse 8 says, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron, and he begged them, Plead with the Lord to take these frogs away from me and my people, and I will let you go so you can make sacrifices to the Lord. But just like the, like the Lord predicted, Pharaoh went back on his word. Next was the plague of lice. And, and this one was different than the, the first two because the, the Pharaoh's magicians, they couldn't duplicate everything that Moses and Aaron did. At this point, God would do something and the magicians could do the exact same thing. But with the lice, they, they couldn't do what God did. And Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed and the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians uh, exclaimed to, to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to him just as the Lord predicted. 
now even the magicians are starting to realize just how powerful the God of Israel was. And Kephri, the God of the insect, couldn't deliver Pharaoh from lice. Next up is flies. And and verse uh, 22 says, But this time I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then they will know that I am the Lord thy God, and I will be present in every heart of your land. So up until this point, every plague that had happened, it wasn't just the Egyptians it was happening to, but it was also happening to, to God's people. Because God also wanted to get his people's attention to, for them to see his power and his might. But, but this time, he, he didn't let this affect Israel. He, he wanted to show Pharaoh how much control he had. Horus, the god of the sky, lost all of his power when God filled the sky with flies. And for the first time, Pharaoh, he tries to compromise with God. In, in verse 25, it says, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron. He says, all right, go ahead and offer your sacrifices to God, he said. But do it here in this land. Okay, Moses, you get to worship God, but you'll have to do it on my terms. You'll have to do it the way that I say to do it. But Moses replied, that wouldn't be right. The Egyptians detest the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God. Look, if we offer sacrifices where the Egyptians can see us, they're going to stone us. We must take a three-day trip into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, just as he commanded. All right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God, but don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. Pharaoh this time says, you know what? I'll let you go, but I'm not going to let you go a three days journey. I, I need you to stay close. I still need to have control over you. And Moses told him he, he, he's going to go off and he's going to pray and the flies are going to leave. And what I'm confused about this is that, that Moses, Pharaoh has lied to you several times in the past. Why, why do you pray for the flies to go away? Why don't you wait until you're gone and you're worshiping and then make that prayer? But God doesn't work that way. He, he, he gives mankind grace and he gives us mercy. There's times that we, we're in the middle of a storm of life and we cry out to God, God, if you'll just rescue me, then I'll, I'll, I'll change my ways. God doesn't say change your ways first and then I'll, I'll come and do something in your life, but he, he still works in our lives. The next is the plague uh, is going to kill off the cattle, but not the cattle of Israel. Exodus 9, 7 says that Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he refused to let his people go. Hathor, the goddess of cattle, couldn't stop the plague that killed off the Egyptians' cattle. The first five plagues, they had a theme. Pharaoh had his heart hardened by his own stubbornness, by his own stupid ways. But over the course of the next five plagues, the Lord began to harden Pharaoh's heart. The festering boils were making life miserable for, for Egypt. And even the magicians weren't able to stand before Moses because boils had broken out upon them and all Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and just as he had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. Sekhmet, the great physician, he couldn't heal the, uh, the boils that affected the Egyptians. And then came the hail. And this one's a little bit interesting because uh, it, it, all the other times God told him exactly what he was going to do, but this time... He goes before Pharaoh and he says, listen, hail's going to come. And I've done all these things before. And, I, and, and Pharaoh, I could have I lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague. And I could have wiped you off the face of the earth. But I've saved you for a purpose. And I've wanted to show you my power. But tomorrow there's going to come a hailstorm. And if you will gather anything that's in the field, people and animals alike, if you bring them in to safety, then they're going to be spared when the, the hail comes. And verse 20 says that some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord said, and they quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields. But those who paid no attention to what the Lord uh, told them left theirs out in the open. God just told Pharaoh, I could have destroyed you any time that I wanted to, but I'm sparing you for a reason, and I'm trying to show you my might. You don't have to go through this kind of pain. You, you don't have to go through it this time if you'll just submit. You don't even have to let my people go, but just submit that I'm God and listen to my voice. And skipping down to verse 27, it says that uh, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. He says, this time I've sinned, he confessed. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. Please beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail, for we've had enough, and I will let you go, and you don't need to stay any longer. All right, Moses replied, as soon as I leave the city, I will lift my hands up and pray to the Lord, and, and the thunder and hail will stop, and you will have the earth belonging to the Lord. But I know you and your officials still do not fear, fear the Lord. 
I love Moses' response. He was telling them, listen, I'll pray for you, but I, I, I see past your fake repentance. You might be saying all the right words, Pharaoh, but your heart isn't in it. I know your heart's not there. And, and Seth, the, the god of storms, couldn't stop the hail from falling from the skies. Next up is, is the locust, and it's coming to destroy what little crops they have that remained. Exodus 10, 7 says, Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him, how long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go and worship their Lord, their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? Even those around Pharaoh were taking notice of the power of God. You're going to lose everything if you, if you keep going this way. What's it going to take for you to, to, to listen to God? And again, we see that Pharaoh tries to compromise. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he says, All right, go back and worship the Lord your God, but who exactly will go with you? And Moses replied, Well, we'll all go, the young and the old, our sons and our daughters, our, our flocks and our herds. We must all join together in, in celebrating a fest, festival to the Lord. And Pharaoh retorted and said, The Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan, never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord, since that's all you requested. And the Lord and Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. He told them, You can go and you, you can go worship, but I'm not letting you take your children. I'm not letting you hold on to your future. You can have your present, but I'm taking your future. Pharaoh, when are you going to learn that the Lord, he doesn't compromise? And, and the locusts, they, they, they come and they, they take over everything that was left. And it says that every single leaf in, in Israel was gone. And once again, Pharaoh comes before Moses and Aaron. And he says, I've sinned before the Lord your God and against you. Forgive my sins just this once and plead with the Lord your God to take this death away from me. Once he lost all of his food, once he lost his own future, then Pharaoh began to ask for forgiveness. But notice he asked for repentance, but he isn't willing to submit to obedience. Because repentance is easy, but if you want God to move, then you've got to be obedient to his voice. Isis, the wind goddess, couldn't hold back the locusts that came from the, the east wind. Next was the plague of darkness. And I'm going to skip through it because I'm definitely running out of time. But uh, it says that... the there was light in Israel, but there was complete darkness that was happening in the land of Egypt. And, and Pharaoh once again tries to, to, to compromise, and, and he says, you know what? This time you can take everyone. You can take your children, but, but just leave your flocks and your possessions behind. Because Pharaoh was telling him, you, you can have your freedom, but, but I'm keeping your blessing. And the Lord isn't going to let the enemy rob you of your blessing. Don't compromise with the enemy, but take everything that God has for you. I can't imagine the toll that three days in complete darkness would have on someone on their mind. In, the, in, in my studies, it said that it was so dark that the Egyptians wouldn't even get out of bed for three days because they were afraid they would get injured just walking around their house. We're talking about complete darkness. And Ra, the sun god, was, was rendered helpless before the one true God. And I think God saved one of these plagues for the last because Pharaoh's name was Ramesses, which meant son of Ra, son of the, the sun god. And then the tenth and final plague comes. And we're going to skip through a lot of this because I am terrible on time and I apologize. But Moses uh, had announced to Pharaoh in uh, Exodus eleven fourth, and he says, This is what Egypt says. At midnight tonight I will pass through the heart of Egypt, and all the firstborns will die in every family in Egypt. And from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of the lowest servant girl who binds the flower or grinds the flower, even the firstborn of all livestock will die. Then a loud, a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before and no one will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. God was going to protect the children of Israel, but it required their obedience. And it was through their obedience that there was great peace in the land. Because when the death angel came, it didn't matter who your dad was, who your mom was, what your social class was. All that matters was were you being obedient to what God instructed you to do. And if you were obedient, you got to live. And if you weren't, then it didn't matter who you were. Your disobedience was going to cost you your life. The death angel passed over Israel because of their obedience. And Exodus twelve twenty nine says, And then at midnight the Lord struck down the firstborns in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. And Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night, and there was a loud wailing that was heard throughout the land of Egypt. Not a single house 
where someone had not died. Pharaoh had sent for Moses and Aaron during the night, and he said, Get out. He ordered, Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord you had requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. And all the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, We will all die. Pharaoh had finally experienced enough loss. He finally learned to submit to to the will of God. What Egypt and what Israel might have thought was complete chaos with each one of these plagues was God saying, this is part of my plan. This is what I'm doing to, to reveal myself to you. And there was times that Israel, even in the plan, had to go through some tough times and through some, some heartache and pain of their own. But God was teaching them, if you will just listen to my voice and if you'll be obedient, then I have more for you. And we'll go on in, in a couple of weeks and we'll dig into Moses and, and the children of Israel and their, their quest for freedom and all the other lessons that he learns along the way. But we're going to dismiss in prayer tonight if you want to stand. But my prayer tonight is, is the same one that I talked about at the beginning. And it's to, to learn to be like Moses. We don't have to, to be the first one to raise our hand and say, God, use me. You don't have to beg God to do something amazing in your life. But you have to be obedient when he still speaks to you. It doesn't matter what your flaws are. All that matters is the calling that he has over you. So, Lord, as we get ready to leave this place tonight, I'm just praying your, your hand of safety and protection upon each and every one of us. But, Lord, from now until Sunday, Lord, I'm asking that you might be able to use us in a mighty way. Lord, that you might be able to speak to us in a way that, that there's no denying, Lord, that it's you that's speaking to us. Lord, that you make your will and your call sure in our life, Lord, that we might be able to do something great. Lord, for those of us that, that you've called to a support role, Lord, help us to realize how important it is, God. How through the, through the support roles that we're doing in this church, that revival's going to be had, Lord. It's through the dedication and through the prayers of the saints that, that revival is going to reach this city. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. You are all dismissed.